It is a pleasure to be here with you all at West Park. My wife was planning to come, and we were going to come, but with twins, the morning sickness doubles. And so she is joining us with our online group today. So Taylor, welcome, and everyone else online, welcome. Be praying for us, but we are thrilled with how God has blessed us. And I want to mention here at the outset just how much we are thankful for West Park. Uh, Pastor Sam mentioned several people uh, that are on our team that you guys have sent and that you guys support. And your love and care for our team, uh, your reputation precedes you. We are so thankful for that. We're thankful even for Pastor Sam and just the way he serves Live Global and ABWE and for all of you. I do lead a ministry called Live Global, and it's a privilege and honor to do so. In a nutshell, in one sentence, Live Global exists to see the gospel advance by partnering and equipping national believers. We come alongside national believers and work with them. When we do that, we realize that every believer has a part in the Great Commission. So we'll talk more later uh, about Live Global, but I want to pray and jump into our text for today. So please join me. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have sent your son to redeem us. Thank you that you have entrusted to us this great and glorious gospel. This gospel that Paul says we carry around in jars of clay. And Lord, I ask that today that you would be magnified. That you would use me um, as fallen as I am to proclaim your truth and that you would be glorified and that you would call all of us to love you and obey you more from your word today. We love you, Lord. Amen. Your missions conference theme is beginning in Jerusalem. That's a good theme, I think. And so today I'm going to do two passages. I know last week Pastor Sam did a fantastic job painting a picture of your Jerusalem. And today we're going to go beyond Jerusalem and get a good global perspective. And so we're going to be in Revelation 7, as Pastor Joe read earlier, but I'm going to begin in Luke chapter 24. So join me in Luke chapter 24. It'll be a familiar passage if you were here last week. Luke chapter 24, verses 45 through 47. Speaking of Jesus, it says this. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And now Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. It says, after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. So as I read these two passages, I hope it's apparent why they're connected and read together. In Luke 24, Jesus gives the Great Commission of that this is a gospel that must go to all nations, 
Then in Revelation 7, we're given a snapshot of eternity. And all nations and languages and tribes before the throne, worshiping the Lamb. And so today, as we live here, we live in what I'm going to call the great in-between. We're living in between when Jesus gave his commission and when the celebration is going to happen in heaven, right? We're living in between the first coming and the second coming. Or you could say we're living in between Christ's resurrection and his future return. We're living in between Luke 24 and Revelation 7. And so the question I want to answer today is, how do we live in this great in-between? And here's my answer. Here's my goal. My goal, my call today is that we would lean into how God is working with joyful expectation. That we would lean into God's mission with joyful expectation. And so I'm going to paint a global picture of how God is working to hopefully inspire us to lean in more. But first, there's three foundational truths from the text that I think just set the stage for everything we're talking about today. So the first foundational observation is this. It's that Jesus is alive and he has the power to forgive sins. Jesus is alive and has the power to forgive sins. This sets the stage for everything we're going to talk about today. It's what we read right here in Luke that uh, Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead. That forgiveness and repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Jesus is alive and has the power to forgive sins. And you know, this is a premise of why we gather here today. We gather here today and we gather online knowing that Jesus is alive and has the power to forgive sins. You've been in church. We have a word for this. We call this the gospel. Um, But I don't want to assume that we all have heard the gospel or know the gospel, especially as we have so many visitors joining online When we say Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus is alive, it's because he died. Jesus didn't die because he got caught up in the wrong place at the wrong time or um, just made a few enemies of the wrong people. He died on a mission to rescue us, to be a wrath-absorbing sacrifice so that any person, regardless of their sin and shame, can come to him. First foundational truth, Jesus is alive and he has the power to forgive sins. The second foundational truth is that this message, message that Jesus is alive and has the power to forgive sins, is a message to be proclaimed to all nations. Again, Jesus said this should be proclaimed to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And this at its core is what missions is. I think sometimes we live in a culture where missions is confused with other elements of it, like feeding orphans or caring for refugees um, or maybe helping immigrants with food destitution or uh, doing many good deeds that they have a part in missions and missions may include that, but missions at its core is the proclamation that Jesus is alive and has the power to forgive sins. Beyond that, I'm aware that we live in a day and age where it's not popular. In fact, it's out of style to impose your belief on other people. If you read online, they actually compare going to other nations to share the good news of the gospel to colonization that happened centuries past, that works somehow ruining other people in their background. But Jesus doesn't share that view. 
Jesus views that this gospel is one that we should proclaim to all nations. And here's why. It's simple. There is no other hope. The Bible makes clear that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. In fact, David Platt was once asked the question, but what about the innocent man in Africa? The man who's never heard of Jesus and he's never had a Bible, he's never had access, but he does the best he can. He, he tries to live a good life and he's kind to other people. What about that innocent man when he dies and faces God on judgment day? Will he get into heaven? David Platt answered, well, absolutely. The innocent man in Africa would get into heaven The only problem is there is no innocent man in Africa. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there are people, they will stand before holy and righteous God to be judged, even if they don't have a sufficient knowledge of him to save him, only to damn them. That is why Jesus says this is a gospel to be proclaimed to all nations. But our third foundational truth as we talk today, and you see it in Revelation 7, 9, is this is a victorious mission. This mission that we are a part of, of seeing the gospel advance to all nations, is victorious. And there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation around the throne singing worship to the Lamb. And so with that, we can lean in with joyful expectation. And I'm aware that as I I share this, there's two ditches that we tend to sometimes fall into, which lead to the same result. The first ditch is realizing the global need. We get a perspective that, you know what, there's 9 to 10 billion people globally, and there's billions of people who don't have the gospel and don't have a Bible, and I begin to get so overwhelmed, I, I don't do anything. I begin to get complacent. And I would say that's not a right answer. The Bible, living in this great in-between, should motivate us to lean in. The other ditch to fall into is to say, well, if we know the end, and we know that every tribe and tongue and nation will be around the throne, I guess I can just wait for that great day. But Jesus doesn't share that perspective. He calls us to lean into what he's doing in joyful and prayerful obedience so that the nations would be reached. And so now, when I say lean in with joyful expectation, I want to give you a few snapshots of how God is working across the globe. These are examples of my wife and I as we've traveled. We've had the privilege to travel um, to almost a dozen countries in the past several years, meeting with local believers and seeing God at work. And so as I share these stories, I think it's helpful to know that as God works, God is doing 10,000 things at once. We, if we're lucky, may be aware of three of them. And so as I share these, these are just the, the three little uh, opportunities or examples that God has shown us of how he's working across the world. So the first one is uh, the country that actually drew me into Live Global, the one that God used uh, to bring my wife and I into this ministry, and that's the country of Myanmar which is also called the country of Burma, historically. But I need to paint a picture of their history, of Myanmar's history. Myanmar was under British occupation um, prior to World War II, their colony of Britain. Post-World War II, they were granted independence, as well as many other countries, and ended up going under military rule. 
When they went under military rule, they ended up becoming a hermit country, a dark country, very similar to North Korea is today, which of course led to poverty and many other things. But in the 60s, when that transition was happening into the hermit country, they kicked out all of their foreign missionaries, which we would look at and say, that's a really bad thing. What's God going to do? There was one missionary who, on his way out, decided, well, I have nothing to lose now. So he took his savings, he printed up 10,000 gospel pamphlets, and he just blitzed the country on his way out. What are they going to do? They're kicking them out anyways. And from that, the Lord began a revival. Almost as if he got all the missionaries out of the way so he could finally begin to work. And he begins to work there and save people. In the 70s, you can even read about this on, on Wikipedia or other places, um, people are getting saved. And there's a man who got saved in his teenage years named Do Swung Mung. Do Swung Mung uh, gets saved. At the time, he had ambitions to become a rock star. He had seen videos of Elvis. But as he got saved, the Lord changed his heart, and he begins to desire to serve the real king of the universe. And as he goes, he begins just sharing this gospel that he had received. Um, and friends begin to gather, and a Bible study begins to morph into a church. But he realizes he has no formal training and education to lead this church. And he feels called to do so. Uh, but he, he's heard of a seminary in India, which is notable because Myanmar at the time had no Bible colleges and no seminaries. But it's a hermit country. You can't get in, you can't get out. So he decides that God has called him to this. So he sneaks out into neighboring India on foot through the jungle. It's about a two-week trek through the jungle, ends up in India. His plans didn't quite work out as expected. He didn't get accepted into a seminary in India. But the Lord does provide. He ends up on the west coast of the United States at a seminary, a Bible college. He gets a degree, and as he finishes his education, he's invited by multiple churches. Hey, could you come on staff here? Could you join our staff? And he says, no, 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 I am called to my people in Myanmar. I want to take the training I've received and train others so that they can pastor churches. Now, that would be akin to someone standing here today who had snuck out of North Korea illegally and said, you know what? I am headed back to North Korea. I'm going to begin training pastors there. People tried to talk him out of it, but he would not be talked out of it. And so the, the lead of the president of his seminary said, well, if you're going to go, I will give you my personal library. So 7,000 books on a shipping container back to India, um, where now he has to sneak on foot through the jungle back into Myanmar. Dr. Mung, when he was telling me the story that a few years ago, I'm like, so how did you get the books from India into Myanmar? He nonchalantly said, well, on horseback. So how many horses? He's like, well, 20 horses. It was me and a guide. I'm like, was it hard? And he's like, the jungle's dangerous. He's like, there's elephants and snakes and tigers and wow. Uh, inspiring man. He gets back. He, but you don't go missing in a hermit country like that without someone noticing and returning. They did notice. He got brought before a judge who was a Christian who for a small fine dismissed his case entirely um, when he could have faced life in prison. And he starts an underground Bible college. Now, Myanmar has gone through dramatic changes since then. There's now a Bible college and a seminary. 
The past 35 years, they've had about 2,500 Burmese students who have come through, who are now church planting in Burma. They're leading orphanages and Christian schools there. In fact, in the country, they have a goal to send a Burmese missionary to every unreached Burmese people group the next year or two. It's about 56 people groups, and there's a work of God going on there through national believers. My wife and I have been to Myanmar several times, and the second time we sat down with Dr. Mung, and I said, well, how could we help? What could we do? And I thought he would say, could you come here and teach with us? We have a thriving seminary, and, but he didn't. He didn't need teachers. I thought maybe he would say, could you give us money, because I know they need money. He didn't ask for money. He said, could you give us good Christian books? And in my mind, I'm thinking like, Burmese, Chin, I, I don't know how I'm going to get any of these. And he's like, but, but we need them in English. He said, we teach every student to learn English here because there's so few Christian resources in the native tongue. They learn English, they can continue to learn long after they graduate, and it opens up opportunities for them throughout the country. Like, you need Christian books in English, like, we swim in Christian books that just collect dust here. We came, we put the word out, and believers got involved donating, just either pastors who had digitized their library or others who no longer needed them. And the Lord provided 30,000 books that arrived in the country last November, a year ago, now comprising the largest theological library in the country. This is just an example of partnership. The Lord really began to work in our heart during this time because his son, Sung P, is a good friend of mine. And while we were there, Sung P gave Taylor and I gifts. And I should have brought it. It's the dressing like they do, kind of the ankle-length man skirt that you wear. We're like, this is so cool. He's like, well, let me tell you what it means. And he goes through just woven fabric on here. And he's like, so this pattern represents this people group. This pattern represents this tribe. This little stripe here represents this conflict, but this one represents this peace deal. So if you wear this to uh, this tribe, they will welcome you. This tribe will treat you like family, but if you wore it to this region, they would view it kind of as an act of war or declaration of war. And suddenly, this really cool clothing I had just terrified me because <laughs> I, I could live there for a decade and probably never pick up on why certain people just hated my guts. But we begin to realize that God has called and equipped national believers there, and we can come alongside and partner with them in different ways as God uses them. When I mentioned Myanmar, if you've paid attention to the news recently, uh, you know in the past three weeks they've undergone a huge military coup. Myanmar was moving towards democracy. In 2011, they established a democratic government, um, which led to religious freedom in the country. It led to economic prosperity. Now all of that is threat, under threat as an unwelcome coup has happened. Be praying for Myanmar, uh, but I want to share with you the words of Dr. Mung, who said this. He said, whatever happens here on earth, our God is still on his throne. Amen. And he is doing what is best for us, though we do not fully understand at this moment. Pray that God would bring something good out of this supposedly bad thing. God is at work. The gospel is going forth, and we continue to pray. I was in Cuba right before the, the pandemic started, uh, that last February. 
and just walking the streets of Havana with Cuban believers who were sharing their heart with us. It was an incredibly humbling experience. Because in Cuba, it's a 30-minute flight from Miami. The economic conditions, you step from a third world to a first world to a third world country. The average person there lives on about $40 a month. Um, They need about $60 a month to have a decent standard of living. Um, There's bread lines everywhere. Grocery store shelves are empty. Pharmacies can't even stock things like ibuprofen. But the believers there don't feel sorry for themselves. They are on mission to reach their country. And they view all of this of what's going on in the country as just opportunities that God has given them to reach out to their own people. But the most amazing thing, I'm walking with George down the streets of Havana, and he just nonchalantly mentions, he said, hey, did you know that we don't need a visa to get into North Korea? He's like, wait a minute, what? He's like, yeah, our governments are both socialist governments. They love each other. A Cuban passport gets you into North Korea, no problem. So what are you you thinking? He's like, well, we got this socialized education system here. Maybe if we could get people who want to go, we'll teach them Korean. The government will pay for it. They could go to North Korea and become church planters there. And suddenly a country that's completely closed to us with a blue passport and white skin, the Lord is raising up others to work there and we can come alongside them. So my wife and I were also in a country, because we're live streaming, I can't say the name of it, but we'll just say the Asia Mountains about two years ago. And while we were there, it's a country that has recently uh, made it illegal to share the gospel. It's penalized. In fact, you get a, a jail sentence if you're caught trying to convert someone or proselytizing. But we met local believers there who, that just unfazed by it, who were trekking into remote villages. Uh, one guy, we'll call him B, uh, who would get on this Jeep, drive for two days just into the bush, four-wheel driving, then another three days on foot to reach a village and share with them the good news. His strategy was he would find the village leader, come to them and say, hey, I've brought blankets, I've brought some medical supplies, Um, could I share this? And I brought a message too. He said, well, sure, you can share whatever you want. They would invite him in and he would share the gospel and see believers come and then follow up in his trips. Um, But recently, in the past year, they've been hit with something, I don't know if you guys have heard of it here in Knoxville, called a global pandemic. It has completely racked it, and I know here it's been rather inconvenient, and the mask, and the quarantine. Uh, In this country, if you were caught leaving your home during a lockdown, it was an automatic five-year jail sentence, leaving your home for any reason. Um, If you were put under a government quarantine system, which government quarantine systems in third world countries are, you you may, may as well wish you'd die, If you were caught trying to escape one of those, they would shoot to kill on sight. And in this immense lockdown, it affected greatly a lot of the day laborers there. Day laborers are people that they buy the food with the income they make that day. Which means a day without work is a day without food. Which means two weeks without work leads to starvation. The country that began to face lots of starvation, we had partners on the ground who shifted their ministry to providing food and relief. And with that, open doors for the gospel. Of former persecutors who used to persecute these people, now they're bringing food to them, and they're saying, why are you doing this? 
and an opportunity for the gospel. And God is using this pandemic to begin to open the doors and soften hearts. Because here in America, the government's kind of giving us free money and the main goal is when you're locked down, you just try to entertain yourself or find something to watch online. But in other countries, our governments aren't giving them relief. And that whatever they've held to for security and trust is gone. They've looked to religion and there's no opportunity, there's no satisfaction there. They're seeking something greater. The fact that Jesus is alive and has the power to forgive sins addresses their deepest hurts and issues and fears. The Lord is at work. I could still tell stories of uh, friends on our team, my friend Rick, who was in the Middle East a few years ago. And in the Middle East, he's protected by men with machine guns as he walks around in a predominantly Muslim country. And he said that he was watching uh, a man preach, one of our partners. And as he preached, there were a group of women off to the side that everybody kind of shied away from. And afterwards, they came up and Rick found out they were prostitutes. And they came to the pastor and said, we loved what you were preaching about. A man named Jesus that you said when he came into the room, he sought out the worst person to befriend them. Like, would he do that with us? Yes, and as they begin, they share the gospel and these women believe it. And they're changed. And then they say, a few hours into the conversation, but what do we do tomorrow? How do we go back to work? It's like, well, you, you can't go back to work. You can't do what you've always done. They said, well, it, it was our dad who, who pimped us out. If we don't bring in $50 a month, he'll beat us. The pastor said, well, well, we'll cover this month, but I want you to go and pray about what God would have you do with your new life. They came back a few hours later and said, do you think it would make Jesus happy if we had a salon where we cut people's hair and did people's nails? Yeah, I think that would make Jesus happy. I think he would love that. Our partner was able to connect to a few churches here who have been able to help provide funding for training and startup costs. And now New Life Salon operates in this country. And other girls who used to work on the street with them are coming to them saying, could, could you get me a job here too? And could you tell me about this Jesus who forgives? Friends, in the midst of COVID, let us lean in with joyful expectation. Let us lean in with joyful expectation. God is at work. This is a time he is working, and we can lean in with joyful expectation. When we look at the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul believed that this was a message for the nations, and he looked around at everything God had set up to make that possible. The Apostle Paul actually called it the fullness of time that God was just getting things ready for this gospel message to spread. And I think in Paul's mind, it was things like a Roman road system that made travel to the known world then easy, and a Roman shipping network that he was able to jump on to go to other countries, and a common language of the Koine Greek that he was able to speak in and people could understand him. And Paul viewed all of this as opportunities God had given him to see the gospel advance. When you look at missions, we'll just look at missions from the Apostle Paul until one generation before me. 25 years ago, still faithful men and women who are alive, who are laboring, 
you look at missions 25 years ago, we had a few advancements from the Apostle Paul. The invention of radio, and we had airplanes instead of ships now, although typically we're still doing ships, but they're much safer than what Paul had. Long-distance phone calls were beginning to become a thing, but man, they were pricey. And most of the areas that missionaries labored in the world, you didn't have phone service. But you look at 25 years ago to today, and the global change that has happened, it's incredible. You see, my wife and I, we probably have a dozen passport stamps on our passports from the past two or three years. There's one thing that amazes me, is that as we go to all these different countries around the world, the worst cell service I got is in the hills of Pennsylvania. <laughs> we were in Indonesia, this was about six years ago, driving through a slum in Surabaya, and we watch all these people glued to their phones walking around, and we ask our driver and translator, Ari, and we're like, Ari, what, what's going on here? And he's like, oh, Pokemon Go, so many Pokestops. <laughs> I'm like, that came out two weeks ago in the U.S. What's going on here? We've driven through remote villages where they don't have running water. They have open sewers on the side of the road. They have this little solar panel charging their cell phones. Estimates say that about 90% of the world's population has access to the Internet. There's somewhere between 6 to 7 billion smartphones worldwide. What once was impossible, now I get real-time video updates every morning from Myanmar from our partners there, of what's going on for free. This is an opportunity, the gospel. This is an opportunity for us to lean in to what God is doing. And ways we've leaned in is we built several years ago a global resource site. The goal of like, we have a website, it's getting some visitors from different areas, so We'll turn it into a multilingual website and just load gospel material in however many language, languages we have on there. So we did. So if you come from Haiti, uh, we'll show you. We'll just switch the language to French and Creole. If you come from Nepal, you get Nepali and Tharu. Or if you come from Myanmar, you get Burmese and Chin. I looked it up last night. In the past 12 months, we've had 154 different countries come to the website downloading material in their language, people that I won't meet till eternity who are accessing it. We have partners who are building mobile apps in different languages so that uh, people can download resources, especially in closed countries where it could be dangerous to carry around physical material. Leaning into it, we have partners doing what we've done here of moving services online during COVID. They then encountered an interesting phenomenon from partners in Europe and partners in India were hearing the same thing, that their online service was getting two to three times more people than their in-person service ever had. People that maybe in a Muslim or an atheist or a Hindu context were afraid to darken the door of a church, wanted to hear if there was any hope there, tuning in online. We have a guy on our team named Gordon who two years ago joined our team with the goal of uh, using his skill set uh, to see the gospel advance. And his skill set is that he's a Facebook marketer. So he comes along companies that want to get their brand out or their message out, and he runs targeted Facebook ads, kind of the ones that follow you around online. And he began to run ads aimed at pastors in third world countries 
who wanted more training. And he just began to get overwhelmed by these pastors of small, tiny congregations in third world countries who said, could, could you disciple me? And so he begins using WhatsApp and Skype to video chat with believers in Pakistan or believers in Cameroon. They're just looking for someone to help teach them. Can't afford a seminary degree. They can't afford to take off work. Technology is an opportunity. In COVID, the number of Zoom trainings our team has been able to do, uh, much like many churches here have, but now globally with believers across the globe. Friends, let us lean in to what God is doing with joyful expectation. We have a tendency, I think, today to just to be sucked into the news cycle around us. For our world to be narrowed just to kind of what we interact with day to day, but I'm here to call us that God has a global vision. He's about all nations loving and worshiping him and this news going out. And we are invited to participate. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, I keep saying we should lean in with joyful expectation. I'm going to give you three tangibles of how we should lean in. And then call two opportunities to your attention. So three ways of how we lean into global missions. The first one is that we pray. Now, this becomes cliche sometimes in church, and I'm even guilty at times of treating it in a cliche way, but this is not something the New Testament treats in a cliche way. Jesus, in John chapter 4, he's with his disciples, and speaking of missions, he says that the fields are white for harvest as he looks out. If you have never read that verse before, you would expect that his next words would be something along the lines of like, so let's roll up our sleeves and get to work. They're not. He says, so pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into his harvest. Let us pray. There's a lot of resources to help you pray globally. There's books. There's the Joshua Project where you can pray through unreached people groups. You can go to liveglobal.org pray where every day we give a new prayer request, a new partner to pray for. Let us lean in first by praying. Then the second by giving. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, he said that where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. When we hear that, I think in our mind we kind of do this reverse of what Jesus is saying. We think that it means, hey, you give to what you love. That's not what Jesus said. He said where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. So where you give your money is where your heart follows. So if you want to lean into missions, lean in with your checkbook. Give sacrificially. Let your heart model God's heart in being a giver. Then the third way to lean into global missions is to serve. It's what we read in Luke 24 where Jesus gives this command to go. And Matthew 28, the, the sister text of this, I think makes it very clear. Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we tend to focus heavily on that word go but really, Jesus' main thrust there isn't go, it's make disciples. So find ways to serve and get involved in making disciples and having in intentional conversations at your workplace in getting involved in the ministries here. And so two opportunities for that. The first, I would challenge you along with our missions theme, is to begin in Jerusalem. 
with Cedar Brook and the ministry here and just the diverse nations that God has already brought to you, you have missions opportunities right here. Unlike most believers in human history that didn't have an opportunity to interact with people from other nations at such easy frequency, lean in to your own Jerusalem. Then lean in globally with your skill set. We believe that God has gifted every person for the Great Commission. You heard examples today of how believers got involved, whether it was giving books or coding websites. We believe that graphic designers have a role in the Great Commission and that computer programmers, that Bible teachers, that uh, mobile app developers or videographers or even ethical hackers have a role. My friend Ben, who is an ethical hacker who has helped use his hacking skills to protect our missionaries globally from countries that would seek to exploit digital tools to compromise people. Every believer has been gifted for the Great Commission. Friends, let us lean in with joyful expectation. Joyful because missions in, in the end is not about guilt, it's about joy. God is going to draw people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. There will be a massive celebration and after party in heaven that we get to be a part of. Let us lean into this with joyful expectation. But as I close, I want to give one warning. So I know in Revelation 7, 9, it's a very high note. Every tribe, tongue, and nation around the throne, clothed in white robes, singing, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The book of Revelation goes on and it shows how the prayers of the saints accomplish that. And in the final chapters, it gives a very stark warning that not every person makes it to the celebration. Not everyone has trusted in Jesus to be forgiven of their sins. And in a room this size and with the number of people joining us now online and in the future, I want to ask, are you part of this group? Have you been washed white? Do you sing of the salvation that belongs to the land that you have experienced? If not, friends, today is the day. Come to Jesus. Jesus is alive. He has the power to forgive sins, and he will forgive you and welcome you with open arms. If you're here in person, grab me, grab a pastor. If you're online, send a message to the church website. Today can be the day of salvation. And for us, let us lean into what God is doing with joyful expectation. Let us pray now. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you've entrusted us with this, this joyful message that we get to be a part of what you're doing. That like Dr. Mung, we can say whatever happens here on earth, our God is still on his throne and he does what is best for us. Lord, would we believe that? Would we trust that? Would we trust you? Lord, I pray for my friends here today that we would lean into what you are doing with joyful expectation that you would be glorified in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Amen.